Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com, we've done your homework. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Tuesday, February 16th. And if you would like to have a question answered about anything in your financial life, all you have to do is give us a holler. Our email address, it's askjill at jillonmoney.com. Ask Jill at jillonmoney.com. And if you're on the website, if you're on the jillonmoney.com website, all you have to do is hit the contact button and we'll get to you. And of course, we've got thousands and thousands of emails. We do our best. If you'd like to jump the line and get your question answered, the easiest thing to do is just say, hey, I want to come on the air with you. Come on. But if not, that's okay. We're going to keep working it through. All right. This is an email that we received from David, who says that he and his wife recently moved from California to Texas and own a home in each state. We are preparing to sell our California home where we have about $400,000 to $475,000 in equity. That's good. The Texas home has an outstanding mortgage balance of $640,000. It's a 3.6% 30-year fixed rate mortgage. We expect to sell the California house in the spring. And given recent interest rates, we are inclined to roll all of the equity from the California house into our Texas house during a refi. Hmm, that's interesting. I wonder why. I anticipate we would still have a 30-year mortgage, but the obviously this would be a much lower outstanding amount, 200 to 250,000 on the Texas house when the transactions are complete. We live in a growing part of Texas, but I doubt our house's value will increase as fast as the S&P 500. Investing that money in the market is probably the right move from an investment perspective. However, and here we go. Here's our however. We both work full time. We've got one child with another one on the way in April. We don't have college savings sorted out yet. We do have a plan, but we need to fund it. One concern is my health. I have a chronic illness that presents a low but real risk that at any point I may not be able to work. 
We feel that paying down and eventually paying off the mortgage could provide us with a lot of freedom in the event one of us can't work or wants to make a career change. Is there another approach or alternative that I'm not considering? Thanks for your help. Love the podcast, David. So David, the way I think about this is I agree that, you know, when you, you tell me some of the more personal details um, in terms of your health, that does present a risk. But think of it the other way. Think of it as once you've put that money down into the house, you've lost the liquidity. Now, I don't know what else is going on in your financial life. Maybe you've got tons of money saved in uh, retirement funds or some non-retirement funds. The more conservative approach is not to pay down the mortgage, but to invest the money in not a wildly aggressive S&P 500 only kind of account, but in a balanced account where you give up some upside, um, where you can protect some on the downside, but that you keep those assets available to you. Because think about this. Let's say in five years, God forbid, that something bad does happen to you. You do lose your job and you've paid off the mortgage. Well, you don't have the equity. It's far more important for you to have access to a couple hundred thousand dollars extra at that time, rather than having a lower mortgage payment. I would really consider carrying a larger mortgage, but having that money, that liquidity available to you. I really do think that that's the more conservative approach. Remember, access to your money. That to me is kind of the key, especially as you get older and especially if you think something bad could happen in your life. I'm also going to presume that you can't get disability insurance because you have already been diagnosed with this illness. So good luck. If, you, if, if that's something that makes sense to you or you need to clarify some other things, send us a follow-up email, okay? Okay. Lee says, thanks for the wonderful show and advice. I'm 61 and I recently took early retirement as an airline pilot. I will receive about 85% of my pay until age 64. Mandatory retirement for pilots is 65. I didn't know that. Did you know that, Mark? Oh, listen to this. This pilot, his investments are flying. He's got 4 million bucks saved in savings and investments. He says, if I die, my wife, who's 59, would receive $9,000 per year. That's half of my frozen airline pension. Next year, her $40,000 a year Navy pension. Wow. Okay. So anyway, later she'll get social security. She works a couple of days a week. And so all this stuff is telling me that they've got a really nice amount of money coming in. He writes that if I die, she would receive through the Navy survivor benefit plan, 55% of my Navy pension, which is $40,000 a year. The cost though is about 3,600 bucks per year with my assets and what would be my wife's income after I die? Do I need this? I only have about $100,000 in other life insurance. You don't need it. You don't need any of this. You're healthy. You have a ton of money. But, you know, it seems to me that that naval pension benefit, if you had no other assets, then yeah, that would be a cheap amount to pay to get her that extra money. And maybe you just want to do it anyway. But you have so much money, you're not going you and she will not spend it. So I don't think you need it, but it's kind of like saying you'd want to buy long-term care insurance at this point. You don't need it, but if it gives you some peace of mind, then sure, that's fine with me. Just shows you though, I mean, you put your time in, 
you serve in the, the nation, you work as a pilot. I mean, come on, this guy's kicked ass. It's amazing. Good for him. Okay. This is from Janet. Hello, Jill and Mark. I love your show. I listen daily. My trainer is 30 and he is just thinking about learning how to invest. He has no 401k, doesn't know what it is. He's got a home, a wife, and two kids. Can you recommend a book or books for complete beginners in his situation? Thanks a lot, Janet. Should we do Broke Millennial, Mark? Is that one? I think you try Broke Millennial and then she did another one about the Broke Millennial Investor. So that might be good for, for him, or maybe you could get it for him. Maybe you could trade him a couple of books for a session, right? That could be kind of good. And you can also try uh, my friend Jack Otter's book, Worth It, Not Worth It. Those are, those are all good choices. Erin Lowry, she's the author. So check that out. Okay, Janet? Good. Okay. Bridget writes, I'm a 40-year-old nurse working part-time and I earn approximately $52,000 a year. I have a 401k and a 403b totaling $187,000. Both of them are in the Fidelity Target Date 2045 fund. Expense ratio is a half of a percent. She's got a Roth IRA, which is worth $115,000 with Vanguard, but lower fees, 0.15%. Should I consider switching my 401k contributions to lower fee funds in Fidelity? I have enjoyed the ease of the target date funds, but I want to know how much is too much when it comes to these fees. I actually agree with you. I think you should. If you wanted to go into the 2045 fund and say, what is the allocation? I mean, the 2045 fund probably has like 80% stocks and 20% bonds. All you have to do is just choose the index funds that will give you the same allocation. So it's probably a broad stock market index fund, a broad bond market index fund, and a little bit in an international fund. But if you click through on that Fidelity target date fund, it'll tell you which funds they're investing in. Just go directly and buy those index funds yourself and you'll save the money. And you know what happens when you save that money? That money just goes down to your bottom line. It's your money. I love that idea. But isn't it funny, Mark, to see like the difference between, it's a 35 basis point difference which is pretty big when it comes to like a passive investment, like that kind of a fund, like a target date fund. Hmm. Okay. This is from Tim who says, I'm a 55-year-old divorced father of a 20-year-old college student. After a bad divorce from 10 years ago left me starting over from scratch, I'm now in a position with a good income to debt ratio and credit good enough to be approved for an FHA loan. I currently have the 3.5% down payment. By the way, you only need 3.5% for an FHA loan, not all of it. He says the closing costs are a major hurdle. Do you think there is a chance that the Biden $15,000 first-time homebuyer tax credit may take place in the near future? (sighs) I don't know. I mean, I'm like actually against this. You might as well wait at least a little bit, because the longer you wait, the more that you are going to be in a better position. And you'll probably have the answer to this tax credit question in, I don't know, probably within the next three months or so. He says the tax credit would be a lifesaver for me if it passed, but I'm not sure how long that could be. And the question, the other question is, if he could come up with the money now through a family loan, would I still be able to take advantage of the tax credit if it is passed after purchasing a home? Any advice you have would be greatly appreciated. First of all, I mean, I don't know if it's going to happen or not. 
usually when these kinds of things happen, they're retroactive, but don't pull the trigger yet. Don't, don't do it yet. Maybe renting is not the worst thing in the world. Maybe it's a really good thing. And I'd hate for you at age 55 to take all the money you have in the world and plunk it, plunk it down on a house. So I'm not convinced that owning is better for you, but I sure would like to hear more details. Okay. All right. That's it. That's the show goes by so quickly. If you wouldn't mind, subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. Maybe it's Apple or Spotify or Stitcher or Radio.com. If you're listening to us online through our website or through YouTube, just hop on to the JillOnMoney.com website and you can subscribe there. Send us your questions to AskJill at JillOnMoney.com. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. Leave us a rating or review. Mark says it helps. I don't know why, but it does. Wash your hands. Wear your masks, maintain your physical distancing, put your hands metaphorically on someone's back. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow.